0: My name's Jo Wise, and this is Wise Women, the podcast. In my book, I Am a Woman, I quote a Native American proverb which states that the world will know a thousand years of peace when women have healed their hearts. I believe that one way for women to heal their hearts is to share their stories. Just like in ancient times, when our female ancestors would gather at the full and new moons in tune with their cycles to cleanse their experiences together. On this podcast, I'll be asking women from all walks of life to share their stories. Not only to give a voice to the wisdom they discovered during some of their greatest life challenges, but also to remind you of your deepest wisdom too. This is Wise Women. Sharing stories, sharing wisdom. Helena Enright, a lecturer in drama at Bath Spa University, was born in Limerick in Ireland and has always loved the arts, a passion that she shared with her cousin Mark from a young age. However, just before Mark's 23rd birthday, he died suddenly, leaving Helena and her whole family in shock. This episode is called The Sun, The Moon and The Stars, for reasons which will become apparent, And it's Helena's story of how she dealt with her grief and how much meaning she finds in the synchronicities around his death. Hello, Joe. How are you? (laughs) Hi, good to talk to you. Now, you're a lecturer in drama. You've also been an actress, a producer in both film and theatre, a playwright, a director. But when I think of you, do you know how I think of you?
1: Um, i'm not sure
0: (laughs) okay so i think of you as a storyteller someone who loves to hear stories and someone who loves to tell them is is that true
1: yeah that's that would be quite fitting actually yeah i do i love a good story um which is probably the irish in me but yeah i do i i like i mean part of my work in theater has over the last 10 years all been about gathering people's stories and then finding ways to retell them through theater so in that sense I kind of see myself as a storyteller.
0: Well, I was going to say, that must be your Irish background and you beat me to it because the Irish, I don't know, there's just a way of, uh, a way they have of sharing stories and being so interested in
1: stories. Yeah, I think, like, I remember growing up kind of being fascinated by the, the story of the, the Irish um, Shanachee, it was called. Um, and they would travel from, in, you know, especially in rural Ireland in the villages, they would travel from village to village bringing stories with them and everyone would gather around the fire and listen to the Shanachee. And all those stories would, you know, have morals in them and, you know, experiences that people could kind of learn from more. And also they'd tell ghost stories and then also stories for kind of just pure entertainment and a bit of divilment, as we'd say, but you know we learned Irish in school through stories it was always through stories Mm. and stuff so yeah I've always had a fascination with stories and people's stories
0: well we're going to hear one of yours shortly but I know one of the projects you're currently working on is Mm. about women and maternity in prisons and I think I could talk to you for the whole podcast about that quite (laughs) frankly but what's the main lesson you're learning
1: there oh gosh there's been lots I guess one of the things that I've been kind of really uh, reflecting on over the last few months having listened to some of their stories is a guess is that we're all only one step away from prison but I've also been questioning a lot about what is the purpose of prison and what is the purpose of punishment and rehabilitation and and yeah I've been kind of doing a lot of Thinking about that and doing some reading Um, and I think there's a lot of women in prison uh, in the UK and in other you know parts of the world that actually shouldn't be in prison.
0: Yeah like I said I could really talk to you for the whole podcast about that but you said that (laughs) we're all only one step away from prison what did you mean by that?
1: Well I guess you know I think it's partly to do with our growing up, our circumstances. You know, there were some women, not particularly the women that I was working with, but other women who, you know, who've been in prison, who are in prison for, for not paying their council tax, you know. Um, right. Who are in prison for maybe um, dangerous driving, which wouldn't have been necessarily dangerous driving with intent. Um, there's people, you know, because of addiction. There's people because of poverty who are stealing to feed their children. Um, and, You kind of think, you know, my life is going along fairly okay. I mean, we all have our good days and bad days and stuff. um, And we make choices at different times. But sometimes the choices we make are not necessarily informed choices. It can be dependent on circumstances that have brought us to that point. And I think you kind of realize sometimes the, the frailty of human life. Well,
0: you're making me think... Helena, and just hearing you speak about all of that, I'm picking up, you know, a rough sense of humility. And I suppose the amount of stories that you hear and uh, listen to, and absorb, and then translate to the uh, to the theatre mm. must bring about that feeling of humility.
1: Yes, I think it does. You kind of think uh, I'm very, you know, I am very fortunate in some ways um, to be able to be in a position to to listen to those stories and, and create those spaces um, where you can hold that space for another person, where they can listen, you know, when, where there's no judgment, there's no mm. agenda. Like I remember the first kind of that domestic violence piece years ago, and that's over about 12 years ago now and listening to those women and they would talk and they would often say to me, you know, and I would make it very clear. I'm not coming in as a counselor or a therapist or any, I don't have that background. I'm I'm just here to listen to you And some of them would say to me, you know, I've never talked about it to this extent before where I haven't felt judged or that someone's trying to kind of make me better or, you know, kind of um, have some sort of an agenda. So that to me was I I always felt a great sense of privilege Mm. to be in that space because women, you know, They'd start talking about one thing and, as we all do, go off on a tangent. And some of them would tell me stuff that they'd go, oh, I've never told that to anybody or I had never made that connection before. It might be something from their childhood or, you know, different things. Um, and that's that's a real space of privilege to be in when someone entrusts you with their story like that.
0: It really is. And uh, I'm feeling that now about you. (laughs) Because um, Wise Women, this podcast is all about women sharing their stories. And I believe that that's how women heal, both in the telling and in the listening of the story. And the story that you're going to share is about your cousin's death and Mm. the synchronicities that helped you through the grief. But before we get to the story, can you tell me a little bit about your cousin and your relationship?
1: Yeah, so, um, Mark would have been, oh, eight years younger than me. So he would have grown up kind of very much, he was an only child, um, and he kind of lived with my grandmother and, and my aunt, um, uh, when he was growing up and would have been kind of really very much part of. My family, and so he was almost like a brother, really. Kind of, he would have spent the summers with us when we, like, we went to the west coast of Ireland to a place called Kiltie every summer, and stayed in a in a caravan for two months. It was idyllic. So he would have come down with and stayed with us, you know, for the summer because his mum would be working and different things. So he was very much a part of our life. And as he got older, then he was a very creative guy, um great sense of humor, and very good at art, very good at. Um, absolutely natural talent for acting so we shared a really strong bond with theater and we did oh we did pantos together um he played buttons one year in cinderella um great um and then yeah so you know he was he was a great guy uh said very talented but he also had epilepsy and quite severe at times and stuff and i think that always kind of troubled him quite a bit and so he kind of as he got older as a teenager kind of late teens would have kind of suffered what what everyone refers to now as mental health issues and stuff like that um but like a lot of people would have really fond memories of him as quite an entertainer and he was quite a storyteller actually and we'd have great fun telling stories and chatting about stuff and
0: And how far back are we going in terms of his death because the story i think and the synchronicities that you're going to mention actually started before he died didn't they
1: mark died in 2007 so 11 years ago but i remember the first play i ever did was about a mother and a father whose daughter died of cancer a teenage daughter and i was thinking about this this morning actually in relation to the story about his death but that was the November and he would have died the following April. But he came to the opening night of that show to the premiere and it, it was a professional company that picked it up and he wore a black suit uh, with a black tie and I, I had such a you know good bond with him. I remember saying to him, I know the girl in the story dies, but you didn't have to go into mourning for her. <laughs> <laughs> And he was there all proud as punch of me in his suit and we were just laughing like a black tie is a bit much like... So that I remember it, like and that kind of leads in, I suppose, to the story then, because when he did die the following April, I had just moved. As I said, I was in England. I was back for a week um, and I had said to him uh, that week. I said, when are you coming over to visit me? Because he'd always talk about coming over and maybe we'd go to a football match. He'd, he was a great lover of sport as well um, and a fine soccer player in his day. But he said, um, he said, oh, I, I mightn't be here much longer. And I said, well, where are you off to? And he said, oh, I might go to the States or something. And he had a bit of a fixation with America. But um, so I said, all right, I didn't take much notice. Um, and actually the following week he was dead, which was, um, and I think in a way, I laugh about it now, but um, I wonder, did he know? Because he, as I said, he had epilepsy. And when I was clearing out his apartment afterwards, he had lots of tablets he hadn't taken. And I kind of felt he just a sense of him wanting to what he. I found some drawings later where he talked about wanting to go home. I thought that was quite hmm. uh, a bit. Yeah, um, but the the story, of the black suit. I, it, was, it was like there was a lot of circumstances around his death where it was just I had. So I'd gone back to England after a few days, or whatever, and I was staying with friends in London. I was living down in Exeter at the time, but it was April Fool's Day and he i there was a message on the phone from my father which said uh, Helena ring home urgently now i thought it was my father uh, having a playing a bit of an april joke uh or april's food joke oh, because goodness. when i was when i was younger uh, like in my late teens or early 20s you know and i'd be out with friends and i was living at home if i was out dad would often leave a message going can you ring home immediately or ring home urgently and i'd ring and i'd say what's up and he'd say will you make sure you bring a pint of milk home with you? <laughs> I was like, dad, someday you're going to do that. And I'm like, I'm not even going to answer. <laughs> I'll just get the milk. But so I thought dad was having a bit of laugh with me. I didn't, do you know, my head didn't even go anywhere else. And so I picked, I rang him back. I said, what's up? And he just went, Mark's gone. And I went, gone where? <laughs> and he says, he's gone. He's dead. And of course, you know, the, was probably howling or something. And, um, and I remember having to get a flight back that Sunday afternoon and, um, straight back from Heathrow to, to Shannon. Um, and as luck would have it, there was a friend of mine on that flight like who I'd went to university with who I literally walked into the door of the airport and she was there and she was like hey how's it going I was like oh and she kind of helped me through the flight kind of just you know people appear sometimes in your life. (laughs) Yeah I was going to say is (laughs) that even a coincidence? That was just mental yeah it was just crazy um that she happened to be on that flight and uh and she would have known Mark growing up and you know different things but um so anyway when we went home and all that um and then in ireland funerals happen quite quickly so literally um you know i think he was gone, died on a sunday so he was going to the funeral home on the, the tuesday evening or something so we were talking about what we would lay him out in what we'd bury him in and because you know in ireland it's a really two-day ceremony where you have the uh, the early evening the first day is normally in the funeral home um, and people come in and sympathize for a few hours and you know all around it's an open casket most of the time so it was like what will we lay him out in and my aunt had said you know the black suit he wore to your play and I was like oh he's 20 he was it was just before his 23rd birthday and I was like I don't think that's really fitting for him you know but then you have to be careful with family politics and all that sort of stuff (laughs) and I said I think there's an different outfit the jumper and jeans that he'd be much more casual and more him so I went down to his apartment with my uncle to get his clothes whatever and got the suit but couldn't find the tie and I got the other outfit the jeans and this beige kind of jumper that he used to wear and I said to my uncle, I was like, there's no sign of this tie. And we searched everywhere in his apartment, um, you know, the bedroom, the wardrobes, everything, even stuff in the sitting room. We were looking in bags and I was like, and I actually stood there in the middle of the apartment. And I say my uncle, who's a priest, thought I was a bit cracked. But I said, Mark, if you want to wear the suit, let me find your tie. And, you know, I'd have that kind of relationship with him. Uh, No sign of the tie anyway. And so I went back up to my aunt and I said, look, I couldn't find the tie. It was nowhere. I said, I even asked him. And she was like, oh. (laughs) So so we laid him out in the jumper and jeans and that was fine. And then about a week or two later, myself and my brother and two sisters and another cousin went down to clear out his apartment. We said we'd do that for him kind of as our, our last thing. And I literally was two minutes inside that apartment and I put my hand on the bag in the sitting room and at the top of the bag there was a pharmacy bag, you know, like the paper one, the paper ones yeah, you, get, yeah. you get, some tablets, whatever. And inside in the pharmacy bag was the black tie. Mm. And I just literally went, I kind of let out a scream. I said, oh my God. And my sister was like, what, what? I said, it's the fucking tie. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, and I kind of looked up and I had a good smile and I thought, you did not want to wear that suit. And it was very comforting and a real sense that kind of, because he would always have the, you know, we always had a good laugh and I could hear him kind of chuckling almost going, gotcha, like. So I always remember that was really kind of, really comforting, kind of knowing that, I guess because he was taken so suddenly and you weren't expecting it and and that sense of kind of, yeah, you're all right, actually, and yeah. So I suppose that that was that was a big thing, kind of for me um, at that time, and that sense of, you know, you kind of. I mean, we all do it, don't we? We make try to make sense of life. What are we here for? What's our life purpose? What's this? What's that? Um, and you know, you could drive yourself mad with those sorts of questions. But I do kind of think, in ways, it it kind of. Gave me a sense that we are all connected beyond the physical, Mm. I think, beyond the physical day to day. And that's not to say, you know, obviously I would have a a Catholic upbringing and and the afterlife and all that. But I do believe uh, that there's definitely some higher power
0: Yeah. Yeah. I want to talk to you more about that in a minute, because I heard a lady say quite recently, actually, that um, she's always believed since she was very young that there's more to this life than Mm. our five senses. Yeah, there's definitely something else going on. So I want to come back to that in a second. But in terms of the grief that you felt, what did you go through? How did you deal with that grief?
1: um I'll tell you what I did I remember it really because I came back to Exeter you know a couple of weeks later and actually I was going back I was presenting at my first academic conference in Belfast about two weeks later I remember saying you little you know <laughs> I can't even have time to prepare Blighter. for that <laughs> yeah yeah I was trying to think of a polite word there um but he um so I remember going to do that in a uh, a cloud of I don't, yeah, I don't even know how I got through that weekend in Belfast but I did it but I actually I walked I lived in Exeter at the time and I was in uh sharing a house with a few people because I was just starting about a year into the PhD and I went down and I walked to the quayside and there was a lovely I'll never forget it I used to listen to I had a tiny little mp3 player with God, songs from the a mix of songs on it and there was songs from the musicals and the lion king actually is <laughs> the circle of life and i remember i'd walk for a certain part by the kind of quayside and then it would go out in this, the playing fields and i would walk there and then i would come in this little part by the canal and that was very secluded and from that whole little section it was probably about 20 minutes i would always hit the lion King soundtracks <laughs> at that point, some of the songs and I would cry the whole way as I walked. Like like not in you know, hysterical throw myself but just a real kind of release. And I really think I walked I walked through the grief, if that makes sense. does make um, sense, yeah. Yeah, and it was for a month solid. i just take off at some point in the morning because it was, you know, quite flexible when I was studying for the PhD um, and just do that walk. And and as I, as I come back out of that kind of secluded part of the walk um, and face, you know, the rest of the more built-up area of the quayside, you know, the tears would go kind of. And it was a just – and I think it's really important to cry and release – Um, those tears and I definitely and I then made a real sense of kind of peace with him and his death at that point but that walk and cry every day for a month
0: well, it's interesting you said that. You're making me think about a book um, called "The Unlikely Pilgrimage of Harold Fry" by Rachel Joyce. Have you read oh, it? Oh
1: yes, I haven't read it, but I was I was working in Waterstones at the time when it was a big. <laughs> okay, <laughs> um, yeah, I think yeah. if you read that, uh, I won't give the game
0: away. But he walks yeah, yeah, for a yeah. purpose, and yeah. when you spoke about that, I thought, oh, my goodness, um, yeah, you, you'd love that book. You'd absolutely love it. Yeah. Um So, would you say that you've you've come through that grief with Mark now?
1: Yes, I would, but I tell you, um this only came to my mind. I, again, I was thinking about a lot about this uh, over the weekend, kind of. Um, do you know the other way sometimes you think you've dealt with a lot of stuff, hmm. and then something comes up, and you go, ooh. oh, <laughs> well, yeah, I know that feeling." <laughs> <laughs> so, because I work, I work a lot with, with young people around his age, um, and I have a student actually this year. Um, who was going through some stuff, quite quite tough stuff, and a lot of mental pain. And I will never forget, she just said, she was talking about something, bringing stuff to mind, and she just said, I just want to out of this pain. I don't want to be in this pain anymore. And I got a jolt through me. And I remembered, I just said, I've heard these, I mean, it was almost word for word, the exact statement Mark had made to me about two years before his death. Mm. Um, had an, an incident that had occurred, and he said to me, I don't want to be in this pain anymore. I just want out of this world. Um, and she pretty much said the same. And I got this jolt, and I went, Oh, that was fine. Went through the session, whatever. And then the following morning, I was lying in bed, you know, they were kind of reflecting, and, and I just, I just cried. I got very, very upset. Um, so Whoa, what's going on there? And all stuff about Mark came flooding back to me. And I kind of looked up towards, you know, the, the ceiling kind of towards the sky and I just said, are you all right? And I said, you know, just just let me know you're doing okay kind of a thing. Um, and I wouldn't have done that in 10 years. Do you know what I mean? Kind of like, um, and so I have Paddington Bear belonging to him, which is on my bookshelf my aunt gave me a few years ago. And I thought, I was thinking... You know, because he's such a sense of humor, I said he'll that Paddington Bear will be in the kitchen when I get yeah. up. You know, or whatever. I was, mean, I would just be oh. So anyway, there was nothing. The Paddington Bear didn't move, but a few about a week later, I was having a conversation with somebody, and we were talking about finding something, and someone was looking for something. And I said, "Oh, you should pray to Saint Anthony for that." And I said, "Have you checked a certain thing?" And the person went oh, my God, you're a star. I've just found it. And I said, oh, St. Anthony never lets you down. So a, a big Irish thing would be to pray to St. Anthony if you've ever lost anything, he will find it. So we were laughing and he was saying, this person was saying he was going to get a tattoo of um, St. Anthony or St. Francis or one of the on his arm or something. And then he went, and I also want to get a tattoo of a sun, moon and stars. And I went, oh. And I got another jolt. The night I went down to clear out Mark's apartment, there was a little plastic sun, moon and star on his bedside locker. They were, I'd say they came out of a kinder egg or something like that, or a lucky bag. You know, they were nothing precious or anything in that sense. And I picked them up and I put them in my pocket. I never told a soul that I took them from oh, the apartment. Wow. They were just for me. And I used to keep them in my wallet for years. And because I was doing a bit of moving around a few years ago, I took them out of a wallet and I put them in a little jewelry box that I have. I, they just, I just got that jolt. And I went, you little blighter again. <laughs> so I took them out and I now have them back in my wallet. Um, and and it was only the following day, kind of, I was, I was walking again somewhere. And I was thinking of that student. I was thinking of the sign from Mark. And I went, that's it. The sun, moon and stars. Because nobody, none of my family knew I had taken those strings that, you know, they were just something that I had from him, connected to him, I don't even think I told my aunt. I hope she doesn't listen. Um, <laughs> but they're very precious to me. And like, as I said, if they were worth 50p, they'd be worth that. like. But So, and that, again, I got a sense of peace mm, from
0: them. It was just yeah. between you and him. That's so yeah. lovely. Yeah, yeah. And you talk there, I hear a lot of people say this about grief, Helena. You talk there yeah. about how you think you've dealt with it and then a wave comes out of nowhere and you're, you're going through it again. And I really yeah. believe, I'd imagine you do as well, that... Yeah. You know, we're only given what we're able
1: to deal with at the time. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I do think that I think, you know, you just I think we put all sorts of expectations on ourselves at times to to have to grieve in a certain way or to do things. But actually, you just this that kind of idea of really surrendering to the moment that you're in and going with it and I think we have a tendency to and and I know I and I'm as guilty of it as anyone is overthinking situations sometimes when they happen or when you're going through something and should I have done that should I have done this should I you know or what should I uh," and you just your head just gets but actually sometimes you just you just need to sit sit with what you have and that's very hard to do and like I you know try and do meditation sometimes (laughs) not as often as I as I as I could, not should, I've erased should from my vocabulary. But um yeah, I think we need the body does just give us what we can deal with, I think. But to sit with that to sit with pain is very uncomfortable. And it's not something we're encouraged to do, I think. You know, take a pill, move on, get up and get on with this. But actually no, sometimes you do need to it's okay to cry. And that was one thing that Mark's death taught me. It is okay to cry. Mm. And it's necessary.
0: I wanted to go back as well Mm. a little bit to when you were talking about the higher energy. And you've also Mm. talked about Catholicism a little bit in this Mm. interview and praying to St. Anthony and things like that. (laughs) How does this um, idea of higher energy and oneness and being connected relate to traditional religion for you or doesn't it? Is it two separate things?
1: It no, actually it does it again this is something that I actually was just thinking about the other day. Um I was always taught that God was your friend Mm. and was somebody that walked with you and there's a beautiful um poem actually my mum has it downstairs uh in her hanging out in the hall called Footprints. I've always kind of thought of God and, and Jesus and you know in that sort of way and and while I wouldn't I wouldn't go to last much i mean i go christmas probably old habits die hard and tradition and stuff but but i would kind of have a belief that there is something beyond this that would i that i would have always felt that very strongly um i don't fully know what it is but yeah i do believe that there is definitely a higher energy out there yeah
0: month. and i think what you're talking about helena is yeah. not so much the dogma of religion but you seem yeah. to be talking about the truth
1: that's in all yeah, spiritual
0: traditions, not spiritual just Catholicism. Tradition.
1: Exactly, yeah. And I think for me, I would find. Well, I would wonder what the point of it all is. Do you know what I mean? I couldn't. What's the point of getting up in the morning if 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 there isn't something? Yeah. You know, you look at you. only have to look at nature and look at the way that you know the cycle of nature, um, the way you know seasons, all that. I'd be very kind of into looking at that kind of um, and getting a, a sense of there is something beyond that because the tree will still grow every year and no one's telling it. You know, it hasn't gone off to university and done a degree or it hasn't, <laughs> whatever. Um, so it's, it, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd look a lot to nature at times and I, I often find disconnected from nature. And when I get back into nature, that's when the wonder of the world, I can really kind of go, ooh, yeah, there's a peace here. Well, from that's, the earth. that's yeah. really interesting
0: because i think that's how albert einstein defines god is you know look to nature and you'll you'll find yeah. out what the infinite is yeah um okay helena what would you like women listening to your story today to take away what what do you want them to hear what do you want them to feel from what you've shared about mark and your grief
1: mm. i think it would be to to learn to sit with the pain it will pass and I know that's a great, you know, saying people say, oh, time heals. Um, but it's it's OK. It's OK. It's OK to cry. I've, I've literally this morning just had a cup of coffee with a friend of mine whose brother is dying. And he's been given uh, he was given a month uh, about eight weeks ago. Um, and they're literally watching him die. He's only 46. And she just got really upset when we're having the coffee. Um, and I just I said, that's OK. You know, it's just to reach out and say it's OK. You know, you're going through a fairly rotten time at the moment and it must be really difficult to watch him. And it's OK to have a cry and to not think they're gone. I think they're there. Their spirit is there. Their energy is there somewhere. And that's not to say it's trapped in anything. It's just kind of transformed. There. Yeah, it's transformed in a way kind of. Yeah. I hear lots of
0: uh, people talk about uh, the coincidences and synchronicities you talked yeah. about as well when, when people die. And I think that's part of your story, too, isn't it? It's to, to yeah. watch out for those signs exactly. of their transformation.
1: Yeah. And the signs aren't always necessarily what you think they're going to be. No. Um, like the because that's our stars. logical head. Yeah. So I was, as I said, convinced. Paddington Bear was going to be in the kitchen, and I, that'd be really dramatic, you know. But it was just with that sun, moon, and stars thing, I literally, again, and it was that jolt going, Oh, um, you got me again. <laughs> and it is, it, the signs, they're there if you're open to them. Mm. And, and to take comfort in that kind of, um, but but really just to allow the process happen. I, I, yeah, I mean, I could talk for lots, because a lot of the stories that I've dealt with, with through the theatre, quite a few of them have been around death as well, uh, and particularly of teenagers, um, young adults kind of, and the parents have talked about signs that they've gotten and comfort, and they wouldn't necessarily be religious or spiritual, or do you know what I mean? So I think just watch out for the signs and have a good cry because there is an awful lot of pressure on us, I think, to, you know, get get back up, get back to work, get this, that and the other. But actually, and it's not to wallow in it. There's a difference, I think, between wallowing in the grief and playing the victim, but actually a good, healthy cry. It can be such a powerful release. Um, And if you're in the company of someone who needs a cry, don't tell them to stop. Just say, let it out.
0: Yeah, and sometimes I think it's fair to say, and you'll probably agree with this, Helena. Sometimes Mm -hmm. the tears are too deep for you to find yourself, and sometimes you do need somebody to help you witness Mm -hmm. your grief.
1: Yes, yeah, you do, and I think that, again, holding that space for somebody can it can be quite interesting. Um, And whether somebody might need, you know, counselling or some form of therapy, but um, but actually even as a friend just being there in you know a kind gesture sometimes can be enough to release tears and i've seen that kind of on a few occasions as well where just allowing that yeah space for somebody to just just talk and let it out without judgment kind of our agenda in that sense yeah
0: taking us back full circle to the start of this. no judgment just holding that space is so valuable for people
1: so valuable yeah
0: Helena, thanks so much for sharing your story. Just before you go, I've got a few yep. uh, quick fire questions to ask you that I'm going to ask all wise women on this yes. podcast. Okay. <laughs> um, so first of all, what women in history, myth, legend or present day can't be a relative, do you okay. most admire?
1: Oh, there's quite a few. I guess present day living at the moment would be Frances McDormand and that's the theatre connection and stuff. I When I was working... Um, uh, in the theatre in the gate a few, oh God, many moons ago, back in the late 90s. She played Blanche Dubois in Streetcar Named Desire. And she was just a, that sense of uh, humility, really humble. I mean, she was an Oscar-winning actress. She won an Oscar for Fargo. And she's recently been in, um actually watched it on a plane a couple of weeks ago, Three Billboards Outside Missouri. She's married to one of the Cohen brothers. And when she won her Oscar, I remember her talking about like, they didn't go to the big established balls afterwards. They went and hung out with the the young actors on the fringe who they grew up with. And they, sh- you know, a real kind of sense of not being overpowered by her sense of kind of celebrity or fame mm. and stuff. So she's always somebody that I've just, I have a secret kind of, crush on <laughs> <laughs> and i was watching her in the play i just thought wow she, there's, there's something very earthy about her as an actress as well uh something very real and she plays really dark characters sometimes um you know but yeah she's somebody i just yeah wow I good choice brilliant yeah.
0: choice <laughs> okay next question what book have you gifted the most or are you most
1: likely to gift the most to other people god again there's quite a few but um this actually brought me back to something um I read about 20 years ago, and The Diving Bell and the Butterfly. It's a small, tiny book, um, and there's a reason for that because it was about, he was the editor of um, Elle magazine or something like that in in France, in Paris, and he got locked in syndrome, and he was in his 40s, but he ended up couldn't communicate, but he was perfectly like compass mentis inside, but had no movement on the outside and no lost his ability to communicate but a speech therapist or therapist was working with him and they worked out he could blink the alphabet so she rearranged the french alphabet into the the amount of uh, the frequency that letters are used and get, put a numbering system with them and he he um Dictated the book to her oh my through goodness. his eye. Um, so it's the story of her So he talks about all the stuff that was happening around him that no one knew he he was experiencing because he couldn't communicate. And I just found that story fascinating. Wow. Um, yeah. So it's a t- and it's as I said, it's a really small book, and it, it was it was recommended to me somebody about 20 odd years ago but maybe 20 years ago actually and I I read it and I've passed that on to a few people actually and I had forgotten all about it in the last maybe five years and it was just like ooh so the diving bell and the butterfly I think his name is like Jean Jean Jean-Claude something not Van Damme
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I don't think
1: he would have written that book. No.
0: no okay, no, no, no. I'm going to go
1: searching for that
0: later and yeah. buy myself a copy, I think. Brilliant suggestion. And final question, what song reminds you of or sums up the story you've shared today about Mark?
1: Well, it's a, um, this song uh, is You'll Never Walk Alone from Carousel. Um, Mark, when he was a kid, um, and his mum were the big Liverpool fans. But that song, it's one of those kind of anthony-type songs. It's from the musical Carousel and I've sang it in choirs myself and with musical things I've done down through the years, but it, it never fails to make me cry. Um, and, but it also, the words of it, you know, when you walk through a storm, hold your head up high and yeah. And that, that sense of you, you, we're not walking alone through life. I think that's really important.
0: And isn't it interesting you chose that song and you talked about how part of your grief was walking.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God, I I hadn't even thought of that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So that's, yeah, and I hadn't, again, thought about that song in quite a while. So, um, but, and he would, yeah, would love that song as well. Like, uh, he was a fine singer as well. But, uh, yeah, so that that's a song. And I think that's, I mean, but you hear, you know, if you ever hear What's Your soccer Match and hear the Liverpool crowd singing that, whoo goosebumps. It, it's a really powerful song and really, really. Strong lyrics, actually. If you yeah, to- it
0: really is. I uh, can't play it, unfortunately, because of royalties, no. but you could always sing a few uh, lines for us, <laughs> Helena, if you want.
1: No, no, no. <laughs> no, 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 That no. would be maybe want to come back to me at one o'clock in the morning.
0: <laughs> okay. It was, yeah. it was worth a try. It worth a try. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Thank you so much for the chat. I've absolutely loved speaking to you. Thank you for sharing your story. I think uh, my husband's Irish, Helena, and just listening to you today, I've realized uh, just how many. And it's a. This is a um, a compliment. I promise. Yes. <laughs> just how many tangents you go off yes. on on stories, and how much detail is added to each sentence. It's incredible. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, we, we do that. We do talk around the houses, as they say. Um, yeah, that would be very characteristic of but, the Irish. Yeah. Um, Something my yeah. husband
0: says is, um, "Why use ten words when a hundred will do?"
1: Yeah, exactly. I love that it. It makes it richer. Um, but I think our our, our language. Um, also has a lot more words sometimes for, for the, for, um, so if you want to say, I want to go to the toilet, um, or you would say, wow. So it's like a big long, <laughs> <section>. <laughs> and that means, do I have permission to go to the toilet, please, if it pleases you? And that's kind of, you know, that's what you would have said as a kid in school. <laughs> so yeah, we don't just say, can I go to the toilet, please? <laughs>
0: Oh, story almost. <laughs> well, it's been fantastic. And I've just enjoyed our chat so yeah. much. Thank, it's been thank lovely. you for sharing. Really nice. You're more than welcome. Thank you, Alina. I'm Joe Wise, and you've been listening to Wise Women, the podcast. You can follow Wise Women on Instagram, Facebook, and the website www.wisewomen.org. Dot uk remember wise is spelt with a y if you haven't yet go to apple podcasts and subscribe rate and review this podcast i look forward to you joining me next time for another wise women episode